Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cochilillo, and today we have world-renowned hypnotist and magician, Michael Mesmer. And some of you might recognize that name, Mesmer, I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. I'm glad to be here today. Um, I, I'm really fascinated by your show because, as you know, too, I'm also a ghost hunter or a paranormal investigator. I call it ghost hunting. Yes. And... Uh, so I, I really enjoy the topics that you cover, and I know today we're going to cover a wide variety, but it's exciting to be with you and to be on your show, so thank you for having me as a guest. Thank you, and you're welcome on any time as well. Thanks. Um, so one of the things, like I guess, <laughs> I was watching you before, swallowing those razor blades, <laughs> that's an amazing trick. Yeah, I, um, I do a thing called danger magic, and there's only a few people doing danger magic uh, in the business uh to the extent that i do of course david blaine is number one mm -hmm. uh, number one way above everybody else nobody reaches his level but um i really enjoy the challenge of the danger magic and because i am a hypnotist uh i'm able to achieve some of these demonstrations that others wouldn't try uh because i'm able to deal with the pain using hypno hypnosis and uh -huh. self-hypnosis so when i break an arrow with my neck or i put my hand in a wolf trap or any of the other demonstrations i do bullet catch it's all about managing the pain, and hypnosis does that, and enables me not to be injured from the pain either, because I, you know you're able to control the blood flow and all of that. So it all interlaces together. The magic, mm -hmm. the hypnosis, all of it. Have you ever been hung by meat hooks? You know that's Chris Angel. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I, I don't even want to comment on that. But uh, no, I have not done that. <laughs> Yeah, when I think of like that pain magic, like that's the one trick that always, you know, I thought was an outrageous one. It really was. It really is. Of course, it goes way, way back to the NBFA cares and what they do. And of course, they did a lot of amazing demonstrations, physical demonstrations in that respect. And then, of course, sideshows. But most of what that reflects, the, the meat hook thing, is back to the Indian fakirs and, and what they did in India. Mm-hmm. So is that like putting yourself in hypnosis, like going into like a certain state of mind where you can actually like walk across hot coals without feeling the pain or be able to take a long needle and, and stick it through your body? Um, like what kind of brain, what kind of state does your mind have to be in? Does it have to be like in a theta state, a delta state? Like how does that work? Well, you know, uh, walking across the hot coals, uh, there are certain techniques to doing that however it's still hot nevertheless mm -hmm. but um but you know uh they use that for a lot of um motivational um groups that meet um you know and they have people run across hot coals and everything so it's a mental game it's a mental game um and you're still going to feel pain you're still going to see the heat and everything else but you're not going to get burned because the way that those are set up uh by nature the fire is actually below the the top part of the coals are a lot are cooler than the below the coals believe it or not mm. so that's a help that way but still it's still hot trust me it's still hot uh, <laughs> but it is again a mental game so if you psych yourself up i'm sure you're familiar uh with gary those stories about people that are in car accident or someone's in a car accident and someone lifts a car yes. off 
Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's really very much that same concept, uh, except you're learning how to do it uh, on your own choice at your own time to a certain level. Uh, so it's the adrenaline, it's the it's the focus, it's the you know mind over matter, and um, with enough psyching, you can do a lot of things in this world. That's amazing. So so people just get themselves so psyched out that they just. Like do it. Like I guess they probably feel the pain, but they don't feel the pain enough that it's going to stop them from completing the task. Well, I'll take it to another level for you. Um, I've talked with a lot of EMTs, for in particular, uh, a lot of medical professionals. And by the way, I'm a hypnotherapist, but I'm a lay hypnotherapist. I'm not a medical person, mm -hmm. uh, but I do work at the Younger Medical Group in Rancho Cucamonga, California, as a hypnotherapy consultant to Dr. Unger. So I do work in the medical world, but I am not a medical professional. Uh, I am a hypno lay hypnotherapist, but I want to clear that up so people know that are listening. So, but the thing is that I, in the, I've talked to a lot of different medical professionals and EMTs in particular, and I found from many of the stories I've learned that using hypnosis during a critical point or a critical situation can really help. Uh, people are in need to make a change at that point. For instance, someone that's in a very bad uh, fire, they, mm -hmm. I've heard stories that from directly from the EMTs that practice hypnotherapy on the spot. And uh, what happens is they want to get away from the pain of that burn on their body. And so when they use the hypnosis, by doing that, they actually can not only stop it from going from a second to a third degree burn or a first to second degree burn, but they can also control the pain. Now, in controlling the pain, that eliminates some of the, the situation. And that's why it doesn't progress to a third degree or a second degree burn. So that's along the same lines of what we're talking about, walking on coals, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That's a smaller, uh, lesser situation, I should say. But it all relates, right? It all relates. It's all the same thing. It's about using your mind to overcome an immediate issue or a pain or be inspired to escape that pain. And in doing so, you can overcome it. Can, can the mind overcome physical matter? find that <laughs> like 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 say um I'm, I'm walking across the hot coals thing and i actually say like you know what? i'm not gonna walk anymore i'm just gonna stop and i'm gonna stand here and i'm gonna let it burn me but i'm only gonna let it burn me to one degree like a first degree burn and my i'm gonna use the power of my mind to shield my feet somehow to reaching a second degree burn yeah you can't shield your feet it's not and we're not X-Men or something, <laughs> but, but um, I will tell you, uh, people have overcome things by that. I mean, uh, POWs, for instance, have survived from horrible things that have happened to them uh, by using their minds, being able to shut their minds down as such. Um, of course, we see the Navy SEALs training to be in isolation boxes in water and holding their breath for much longer than physically possible of uh, David Blaine. Uh, he right. can stay underwater for like 10 minutes, 11, 12 right. minutes. Wim Hof does that too. Still there? Yeah, I'm here. You uh, got me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was waiting for your reply. I didn't want to step on you. Oh, uh, no, no. I was just like wondering, like, 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 what is it that Wim Hof does? Like, how does he do what he does? Well, you know, he's very honest about it. I mean, he does breathe uh, oxygen before he goes under the water to oxygenate his lungs. But even so, I, I saw David live, uh, and David is an amazing guy. By the way, one of the nicest people I've ever met in the business. He's really, uh -huh. really humble. He really is. And for the things he does, that's pretty cool. 
uh, he loves his fans. So I just want to let people know that because a lot of people say, oh, how is he? What kind of guy is he? Well, he'll come out and visit with people after a show, even after putting spikes through his hand, being underwater for 12, 13 minutes. He's exhausted, but he'll still see his fans. That's and that's awesome. what's great about him. But, but the way he does this, um, he does breathe pure oxygen uh, and he oxygenates his lungs heavily before he goes under the water. But nevertheless, I saw him live. He was under there almost 13 minutes, upside down in the water. And by the way, uh, the reason he, yeah, the reason he's upside down, he learned by looking at how porpoises work in the water. When they're upside down, it makes the oxygen go to the bottom of your lungs, but which are now the top of your lungs right. when you're upside down, right? When you're, so it keeps more oxygen in your lungs for a longer period of time. So there's definitely science to it, but let me tell you, it's definitely your mind power and using self-hypnosis and being able to do that mind over matter because just the thought of being under, in that water sealed for 12, 13 minutes, yeah. think about that. That's believable, really. And he does it every night in his show, and he is phenomenal. That's incredible. Is there a difference between like that type of self-hypnosis and meditation? Um, it all depends. You know, It depends on your training and how you're using it. Generally speaking, meditation works more with the spirit and the conscious mind, whereas hypnosis and hypnotherapy works with what we uh, define as the subconscious mind. Right. So they're the same road in a way. They affect your body in similar ways, but they have a different pathway, if you understand what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one's more of a conscious thing, where the other one you're, you're, you're activating your subconscious. Right. Yeah. Does, does the subconscious then therefore activate like the, uh, the super conscious? Yes, absolutely. It can. Sure. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yep. And, and does that result in like, even like better abilities? You know, absolutely. Uh, but really where the, um, the self hypnosis comes into play is it helps you to sidestep the conscious part of your mind. And when you can do that, you can make a surgical change in things that affect you from when you're young. Um, that's where it's really powerful because mm -hmm. when we're young, from age about one through seven or eight, we uncritically accept everything people say to us, Gary. And because of that, those things stay in there like a broken record going around and around. And they actually inform and control our decision-making throughout our adult life. So when we go into the subconscious through the self-hypnosis, or through hypnosis, which is all self-hypnosis, by the way, I don't really hypnotize anyone. I teach them how to hypnotize themselves. Uh, the hypnotist has no powers or abilities. We have the knowledge base to help you to be able to access this natural ability of, that we have within us to relax and make changes. So you go in and you don't have any, you put aside the conscious or the critical part of the mind, go into the subconscious with hypnosis. And then we reframe how you look at those things that changed your mind when you were little. For instance, if you're driving in a car, someone says to you, um, oh, they're playing the radio, your parents are, and you're singing. Mm -hmm. And your parents say, well, Cut that noise out. Well, for the rest of your life, you may feel I shouldn't speak out in public. I shouldn't be outgoing. I shouldn't sing in public, whatever. So that stays in there and it keeps forming everything you do in life. But by going into the subconscious and being able to reprogram saying, no, that wasn't what that was. That doesn't have to affect me now. Then you can change your life in a wonderful way. But that's also to do with a lot of other things besides just issues like that. I mean, pain issues. Some of our pain comes from things that happen when we're young and we uh -huh. manifested physical pain right and so uh, some of the the core issue is fear and feeling unloved ultimately 
And through doing uh, the, stuff, the work with the hypnosis, we can relieve some of those issues like being in love, rejection, sickness, uh, poverty, and death. Those are the main fears. And of course, with the COVID situation now, it's a big deal. So that's why I'm doing COVID gnosis, uh, hypnotherapy at the moment. But what I'm saying is the same with you're talking about, about dealing with fire or pain or anything else. The subconscious is equally powerful in adjusting those feelings and responses. Could you hypnotize me uh, out of being afraid of heights? You know, if you want to achieve that, yes. Now, that's the key to everything with hypnosis. Mm -hmm. You have to want to make a change. Sometimes we hang on to these things for some reason. We don't know why. Uh, and that's why you go into the subconscious and you sort of explore a little bit and understand that when people are going to hypnosis, they're creating their own cure. Hypnotherapists are not like psychologists or psychiatrists. We don't have a roadmap that's kind of, you know, you follow and you plan and you follow this roadmap for months on end. Mm -hmm. What happens in therapy, it's very rapid. Um, and so what we do when we go into hypnosis is we let you guide us to find your own cure. You already know the answers. Right. It's just that you have to um, verbalize them and pull them out of your subconscious and reframe them. But mm -hmm. all of us have the solutions within ourselves. We don't need others to tell us how to heal ourselves. So that's the beauty of hypnosis. I have a buddy who made a T-shirt hypnotherapy because you have the right to change your own mind which i thought was brilliant and, and so um yeah so yes the answer is yes we with fear of heights it's a common thing we work with yes that is awesome but it may lead to deeper it may go deeper yeah it might might lead you a deeper issue that you're that's something you're not aware of but you'll be aware of and then that takes care of it yeah, I think the fear actually, I think I know where it comes from. When I was a kid, like we used to have a really high back porch when I was a kid, and I had two older brothers, they used to throw me off the porch. So I think mm -hmm. that's where it came from. Mm -hmm. Right. Oh, sure, it did. Um, how, old, how old were you when, you when they did that to you? Uh, probably three or four. Yep. There it is. You you know the answer, mm -hmm. but the problem is you're you're still look you're still fearing it because you're still responding to it as if you were a child. Now yeah. if we went into your subconscious, we have you to fully realize in your subconscious that that's no longer a reality, and we could take that and reframe it, and then you wouldn't feel the same way anymore. That doesn't mean you wouldn't necessarily enjoy going on heights or want to parachute or something, but it would give you more control over it and less anxiety from it. Awesome. Um. With hypnosis, can you hypnotize? This is when you sure. come on. Was about using hypnotism against people's own will. Like, like how how much are people hypnot? How how much of people's daily lives do you think? Like people sometimes like are like autopilot. They watch a lot of TV. They listen to a lot of radio. They're exposed to all these whole whole world of advertising and and politics and religion all, all kinds of of like input i mean and to me that all seems like hypnotism like people are constantly being bombarded with hypnosis and and i wonder you know if, if that's taking away people's free will even like like how how bad is it I think we're seeing a big example of that right now in our in our country. But um, I don't talk politics, but overall, I would say, yes, you're correct. Hypnosis, here's the basis of it. Hypnosis is open. The first thing you have to do to do hypnosis is open the imagination. Mm -hmm. The second thing is to create the uncritical acceptance of an idea. OK, so if you take those two concepts, you have really 
the core of all hypnosis. So when we watch television um, and when we watch it without thinking, without analyzing, without with the acceptance that, oh, this particular newscaster we trust or this particular politician we trust, then what's happening is when you watch TV, it definitely opens your imagination. And in doing so, you, uh, if you trust the person or if you respect the person, you're essentially uncritically accepting the ideas they're putting into your mind. Right. Therefore, that suggestion becomes a powerful uh, change in your mindset and mm -hmm. your life. So as you said, people go through life sort of not using the critical factor of the protection that we naturally have because they watch these mass news programs, et cetera, and they get bombarded with the same concept over and over again from people they trust or they feel are of authority. And then they start living their life based on those suggestions. Well, is there something about certain people that makes them, makes people trust them more, like that cult of personality type? Well, you know, I, I was, people always ask, why does hypnosis get such a bad rap? So this might help to answer your question. It's a long answer, but it might be the answer to your question. <laughs> um, hypnosis started getting a bad rap beginning in literature and in film, well, one of the films I can uh, note would be The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. I happen to be also a, a monster and horror expert. I, I write for mm -hmm. famous monster magazine on a regular basis. So I have a vast, uh, quite a knowledge of the history of, uh, of film and horror, horror movies in general. So The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari came out between World War I and World War II, okay? Right. And it was what was called the German Expressionist era of film. And these films were being created at a time that were very dire in Germany, and they reflected that era, and they were very dramatic. Dr. Caligari was a major film at that time. Well, during the release of Dr. Caligari, someone else was coming to rise in Germany. His name was Adolf Hitler. And he connected with a guy by the name of Eric Jan Hanussen. Eric Jan Hanussen, he was a hypnotist and mentalist, a stage hypnotist and mentalist. Uh, and what he did was he predicted Hitler's rise to power. Um, but in addition, he schooled Hitler in using suggestion, how to use his body movements, and all of that to incur mass or create mass hypnosis and to uh, excite the imagination and make people uncritically accept his ideas. Now, remember I said earlier that, uh, because Cabinet of Dr. Caligari was about this guy that was a sideshow hypnotist right. in a carnival. And he had a somnambulist named Cesare that was in a coffin. He was hypnotized 24 hours a day. What he'd do is pull him out during the, the actual uh, carnival, and then he'd have Cesare predict who was going to die in the audience. And then that night, Cesare would go out and murder them under hypnosis. So that was one thing, Trilby, which led to Svengali film. That was another one that did hypnosis. But what I'm saying is, I think when you look at it, when, when the era that, um, that Caligari came out, that was right at the time Hitler was just at the birth of his learning his skills to manipulate people. And I think I wonder often, and I, my, I postulate often, perhaps Hitler was influenced by the, this major hypnosis film and the power of hypnosis. And then he sought out Eric Jan Hanussen to be able to gain those skills, to be able to use the mass hypnosis and gain power and end up where he did. So um, he was probably the first greatest example of how that could happen. Uh, and uh, how that could manifest. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we continue that to this day. Um, I think most politicians have learned the ability of suggestion, whether they know it 
consciously or uncon or subconsciously, uh, and they use the media as their tool to open the imagination of the public. And with their power of point of authority, the people accept that suggestion and believe it is real. And there you go, right? So I hope that that was a long answer. I can make it even longer and more intricate, but I think that kind of touches on what you're asking. It does. It answers it perfectly because you know, the, you know. So these people do learn how to manipulate other people, and that's Absolutely. how it happens. So, so, so those people that we see on TV, they know exactly how to manipulate people's opinions. The politicians know what they're doing. the The preachers in the churches know what they're doing. It's they're doing it. Yeah, some of them are doing it consciously, and maybe some of them might be doing it unconsciously. Because from maybe like watching their people, their influences, the people who influence them. Yes. Um, and, you know, the whole another key part of, of suggestion and hypnosis are how we use our words. Words are incredibly important, how we structure them. Yeah. And you see how the media takes an issue, for instance. You can watch, okay, let's say there's leftist, rightist, middle, whatever. Mm -hmm. You can watch all of them, and, and it's a good study in how people frame what they're saying. They're saying the exact same thing, but in a way that sways you to that point. So, to their point of view. So if, you, if you're if you smart and you watch, I watch three different programs that are from three different angles so that I always right. take the, the best concept on what the real truth is. So, um, but yes, the use of words itself are part of the suggestion process. And of course the media, generally speaking, are masters of that. Uh-huh. And so are used car salesmen. You know, used car salesmen get a very bad rap. <laughs> My dad... My dad was a car salesman. He's since passed away, but he was an amazing salesman. And, uh, you know, he, he started out selling cars on the floor like everyone else. By the end of his career, though, he was selling 300 cars a month just by himself uh, because he had become an amazing fleet salesman. And the reason he did, I just like to, I like to, mm -hmm. when people say that about car salesmen, I always like to defend the salesman, car salesman. Um, the reason he did that was because he taught me the art of selling without selling, which is, you don't sell people on something. You let them sell themselves on something. So that's also yes. a very concept. And good salesmen understand that. You you don't do the hard sell. You let the product sell themselves mm -hmm. by letting the people sell themselves on it. And so some car salesmen, I just want to say, are really awesome people, and they do the right thing. My dad never took a test drive with people. He never – in fact, many times, you know, you ever see the movie The Miracle on 34th Street where yeah. Santa sends people? over to the other store to Gimbel's, right? Mm -hmm. Well, my dad, there was a Ford dealership across the street, and if people would say, well, you know, I really like the Ford a little better because X, X, and X, he'd say, well, you know, you're right. We don't have that on our cars, and you know, that might be the best choice for you. Mm -hmm. So a lot of cars, they get a bad rap, but the good ones, they do a good job helping people. Right. Actually, I used to work in some car dealerships also, and I will say that some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life or car salesman. They understand people's psychology. They understand it because they work with it all the time. The ones that are not good, they're not good because they don't understand people and they don't care about people. But the best salespeople, they care about people and they understand the psychology of the mind. They don't, They never study it. They're not educated that way. My dad never got out of grade mm -hmm. school, but he just naturally learned it along the road and he naturally learned it and he just intrinsically knew it. And so that's why he was good at what he did. And that's why the people you're talking about, no doubt, were good at what they did. Awesome. Um, 
So how much do you, I mean, uh, 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 in America, how much choice do you think people are actually acting on their free will versus what we're being programmed to do? Like, is there a percentage of like we being influenced, like maybe 70, 70% of our decisions are being influenced by outside sources and 30% are actually our own decisions? Is there any? Well, here's the thing. I think if people, I think here's, here's the bigger thing. People tend not to live in the moment. They tend to, like you said, they get so busy with life that they're not focusing on each moment. And when they don't put importance on each moment, then they don't put importance on what's going into their mind each moment. And when that happens, we're in trouble because then you're right, people, um, not, not directly, but unfortunately because of lifestyle and just letting go and being bombarded by sound, uh, unfortunately, they do get hypnotized. Uh, they do take the suggestion uncritically and their lives become shaped that way. I, I sit many times, I'm sitting in cars and people mm -hmm. are sitting next to me playing loud music that's saying horrendous things on it. And I think to myself, they're bombarded by that thinking 24 seven in their car, it's pounding into their mind and they're uncritically accepting it as they drive. I'm thinking, we wonder why the world is the way it is. And yet it's so clear, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. Um, does hypnotism work better in the group than it does on individuals? Like if you have like a group of people that you're hypnotizing and then one or two respond to it, does that automatically make the other eight feel like they have to respond in the same way? Well, now you're talking about the field of stage hypnotism mm -hmm. to an extent. And I am a stage hypnotist as well, as you are aware. And I have toured all over the world doing stage hypnotism and Good stage hypnotists understand that a good stage show is really a good group therapy session. The people that come up on stage, Gary, they're, they're seeking a release. They're seeking a release from having permission, as it were, to escape life for an hour and just have fun. Yeah. So what the hypnosis show does is give them that permission. Now, during the show, some of the people go very deep because they may be natural somnambulists that just naturally fall into hypnosis or they may be very committed to wanting that release. Others are gonna be on a lighter level. Now, when you say, do they go along because the others go are in mm -hmm. deep hypnosis? Yes, those people do tend to pull those people along because they're, they're wanting that release anywhere. They wouldn't have volunteered to be in the show. So they're thinking to themselves, they're doing this. I wanna do this. I wanna be part, I wanna get that release. Yeah. So, so they are in a way, I wouldn't say drug along but they're 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 encouraged to try and follow that them so that they can achieve that and get what their goal was which is when they came on stage they wanted to have fun and let go uh -huh. and so whether they're on a deep level of hypnosis or a very light level of hypnosis they're still receiving benefit they're still going to get relaxation they're still going to enjoy the experience so i never judge people now if people are up there goofing off or i know they're just acting i don't want them so I will send them back their seats because I want a legitimate hypnosis experience. But most people are legitimately giving it their best try. As long as they do that, I keep them up there and I keep helping them to edge into it so they can enjoy it like everybody else mm -hmm. that comes up. So there's definitely an element of free will that they're, oh. that, 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 that it starts with that free will with them. Like, like that initial step is, that is, is made by them, actually, not by the person who's hypnotizing them. That's right. Um, with hypnosis, you have to want to do it. 
And once you want to do it, you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to make it happen. I will tell you what makes the major difference. We were talking about mind control a little bit mm-hmm. ago with Hitler and all of that. People always say, well, you know, can I do, can I be made to do anything I don't want to do with hypnosis? And I think that's a big fear of people and why yeah. they avoid it because of the films. Even recently, you probably remember the movie Get Out that was out a couple of years back. <laughs> that was actually you know? filmed in my neighborhood. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, really good film but it was highly inaccurate it was an, it was accurate to an extent uh-huh. but understand this you will never do anything you don't want to do when hypnotized under in a natural hypnosis situation um there is a there is a, a another part of that i don't know if you ever saw the original movie not the recent more recent one with denzel washington but the original manchurian candidate with frank sinatra mm-hmm. um in that film they make someone being a Manchurian candidate. In other words, you're going to assassinate someone, uh, a political figure. Um, and when you combine, like they do in China or in uh, Russia, they'll combine hypnotic drugs with the hypnotic process. Yes. Those drugs break down your morality, your critical factor, and then they can control you and get you to literally do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if they're going to say, and I would assume too, I don't have proof, but I'm sure, sure that this is true. Uh, when they're going to send sometimes American agents into somewhere, they may want to hypnotize them and use drugs so that they don't realize that they're actually who they are so they can go in and achieve these missions. So I, I that I have no proof on, but it would seem logical when you consider what happens in Russia and China as well. Right. So, yes, if you use hypnotic drugs with hypnosis, you could be made pretty much to do anything. But the natural hypnotherapy or hypnosis we do on stage, no, because you're the one in control. Mm-hmm. It is self-hypnosis. All hypnosis is self-hypnosis in a natural way. So you'll never do anything that you're not wanting to do. So is that kind of like what happens in suicide cults? That they actually enter those cults willingly? So that's what makes them want to follow and takes them all the way to the point of committing suicide? Well, you know, if you take Jim Jones, for instance, in Guyana, um, which is fascinating. I should say it's horrible. It's horrific. It is, but but it is. a fascinating study in what you're talking about because at that time uh he had a lot of black followers um and at that time black people were not allowed in the necessarily allowed in the nice churches mm-hmm. you know they were being frowned upon they had their the black churches but they were not segregated he embraced everyone initially so he had all cultures all cultures and all types of people in his church which at that time was a bit unusual. Now we we have, of course, now it's that way. Yeah. All churches are multicultural, but but in that time it was not. So they embraced him to such an extent because they felt they had a place. They were again in life. We're always looking to be loved. Most people that have issues, they they sort of come from that point of feeling unloved in life. Mm-hmm. He gave them a place of acceptance. Uh, lack of rejection, acceptance instead of rejection, of being loved instead of being unloved, um, of not having poverty because he created a place for them to live where there was no poverty. It was sort of like initially, originally with the one in Northern California that he created before they went to Guyana, it was sort of like uh, a perfect society where you had this, you had didn't have to worry about making a living, you didn't have to work. It was just uh, utopian in a way. Yeah. Uh, like with Hitler, it ultimately didn't become utopian, but it was when it began. 
So you have to go back to the beginning points of it. And in doing so, without the poverty issue, with feeling loved, with not you know feeling rejected, they were open totally to leaving what they had before and wanting to have whatever this man offered them. And as such, they accepted anything he said as truth. They looked up to him as, they called him father. And so they looked up to him as truth. So again, it's the, he opened their imagination to the possibilities of what life could be instead of what the hell was or the difficulties of their life struggles were in society with being racial, racial injustice and everything. And they accepted that on critic. And then, uh, so then, then they ultimately accept, accepted everything said uncritically. And they were in this hypnotic trance type state, if, if you will. And that's what ultimately led them to also accept the, um, the punch at the end, as they say, because again, one of the other sprites is about death. Well, he was saying they were going to come to kill all of them, that the news, that the, you know, the soldiers were going to come, the news were going to bring everybody to kill everyone at the end of that Guyana situation. So they accepted that as his truth. And so they, he said, look, we need to move on to the next place. And look, they already had San Francisco and then they were there. And many of them believed that life improved for them, even though it was very uh, subject, subservient, but still they felt they had a better life. And so they thought, well, if he's saying this, it must be truth too. We're going to take this drink and we're going to be in heaven now with him. And it's going to be even a better step. So yeah, it's, it's incremental. And uh, along the way, they accepted every suggestion because he proved along the way that it was better and better till it got bad. So um, I hope that answers what you're saying. That's, that's great. I, I never thought of it in that perspective, like that these people were getting what they wanted all the way up till the very end. And that's when he like sort of drops the bomb on them. But up until that point, they're getting, you know, they're, 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 they, got, they got shelter, they got food, they got people that love them. They have this common bond. They have a person to look yeah, up to. Racism didn't exist in their culture. Yeah. So, so it was perfect to them. And it, it makes so much sense. And I've never thought of it in that perspective. Like, you know, when you see it on TV, it's just like, oh, these people were duped, <laughs> you know? Right. But, but but obviously, there's a whole lot more at play than just being duped. Well, and it, Gary, it goes back to that old uh, old story about putting a frog in a pan, and, you, and the frog stays in the pan with the water because you turn up the temperature little by little till it gets boiled. Mm -hmm. And I realize along the way it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter till it's too late, and it's already become dinner. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so one of your other interest is paranormal. And I can also kind of see how hypnotism and paranormal might go together. Because I have um, myself, as a, you know, I've done some paranormal investigating and um, researched the topic heavily. And I've also partaked in, um, you know, seances with mediums and, and, and things like that. And... Um, you know, sometimes I think people go into those situations just like they do with hypnotism. They go into it with wanting to have that experience. And how do you differentiate somebody who's going into it wanting to have that experience so they are ultimately creating it for themselves, really, versus an actual experience that's non-biased or non-objective? Well, you know, that's not easy. It's a difficult thing yeah. because most people, as you say, uh, the people that get into that industry, like yourself and myself, um, we, we want 
We want to see something. We want to know that it exists. We want to know there's something more than just what's here on this world. And so we go into it with a very open mind. In other words, we're accepting that it's possible and it's something we want to be possible. So then, you know, again, it's, it's um, you're opening your imagination mm -hmm. because you've heard so many stories, you've seen so many programs and that opens your imagination to the possibilities. Then, because you want it so badly, you're uncritically accepting the idea of it, of it, and therefore it becomes real in your mind. And then anything's possible at that point. And you can certainly imagine a lot of things happening and you know, a, a stone drops and you think there's a spirit over in the corner of the room. So it's very hard to guard against that. And I have to do that all the time too, because I have an amazing imagination. If I didn't, I want to be a magician, illusionist and all of that. Yeah. So it takes, it takes constant guarding <laughs> to not fall into that and actually do valid, uh, valid ghost hunts. I, 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 you know, I watch a lot of these TV shows, Gary, and I'm sure you do too. Mm -hmm. And I enjoy them immensely. I'm sure you do too. But I think a lot of the, what we see on these shows, um, first is created for dramatic purposes to get rating, <laughs> yes. but, uh, uh, and I'm a big fan of Zach Baggins, by the way, I love his show because mm -hmm. I love Aaron. He's so hilarious. And I love the entertainment factor of it. But I think what we see on there a lot of the times may or may not be valid ultimately yes. uh, because they have the ratings. I, I'm, um, you know, I like Dead Files a lot more because I think it's more, I like Steve being more. That's of actually one of my favorites too. Yeah. Because he's a good, he's an ex-policeman. Ex yes. He really investigates history. And then Amy, because they do shield everything, uh, I feel that she's pretty realistic in what she what she experiences mm -hmm. now i'm not a medium so i don't have her abilities but if i did have the abilities that she seems to have it seems that that show is very realistic yes. and very believable um so and i have i do feel that she seems genuine in what she does but i, I love too. all of them but you know the thing is we have you and i as investigators we have to guard against it all the time letting our i just did a a uh, big investigation on the uh, Donkey Lady Bridge down in uh, San Antonio, Texas. Mm -hmm. I also went to the Dev Devil's Bridge there too. But I went to the to the uh, Donkey Lady Bridge, which is big in folklore. And um, I don't know if you know the story. Have you ever heard it before? No. Okay, so the Donkey Lady. What happened was back in old San Antonio, they lived outside of San Antonio, south of San Antonio, and they were on a uh, ranch farm slash farm out there. Her and her husband and her two children. Well some of the rich people would go out of town to get so the people wouldn't see them partying in those days. I just use that word. It wasn't a word in those days, but, <laughs> but they were partying, they were drinking. Um, the donkey lady's husband threw them off their land uh, because they didn't want them there partying and destroying the land and the crops and everything. So these people, they went in town, got some thugs, came back. They literally burned down their ranch house and farm. They killed the husband and the children. But the reason she was called the donkey lady is that the fire actually burned her to an extent where her face got stretched and her hands were nubs like, like hooves. Mm -hmm. So she was, they called her the donkey lady. Um, this bridge is right near her house and many sightings and things have happened there. Um, I use uh, a spirit box on my phone. Actually, I have one. Uh, I have one on a pad too. I use a uh, night vision. I use all those things, you know, uh, and the EMF meters, all right. of that. I had some interesting things happen out there, but you know, you could easily go really wacky and think you visualize something, but, but actually it was the first time on my ghost box, I heard my name, which is really crazy. 
I had never heard my name spoken before, and they actually said Michael Mesmer. Now, you oh, know what wow. Mesmer does? It has a set of words in it, and they yeah. rotate, 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 and it picks them up. Where would they have the name Mesmer in those words? <laughs> I have where, no idea. How would that exist? Because this is not the one that works off the radio. It works yeah. off, they take thousands of words, and they put them in there, and yeah. they just rotate until they catch. Yeah, it's not like a word that how people use every name? day. Yeah, so how would you have Mesmer pop up? Mike, it said Michael in a man's name and Mesmer in a woman's name. How would that name Mesmer pop up? That really blew my mind. That's also, incredible. Also, I had a, um, I used the old-fashioned flashlight demonstration uh, uh -huh. you know, experiment, and when I was doing the interview with with whoever was there, that it wasn't the donkey lady; it was another person. I think his name was Phil or something. I can't recall right now, but it was the guy that I was talking with, and that came up on the box and. Um, he actually responded by turning on the flashlight and it was literally unscrewed sitting five feet from me on the bridge. Mm -hmm. And when I was doing the interview, the, the, you know, it popped on just like that. So those are things you can't explain. Now I have no idea. The name Mesmer was just particularly incre incredible, yes. but, but I doubt that's in that. I doubt that's in that word word, the words that are in that program. I very much doubt that. <laughs> so, you know, that, that to me was an amazing proof, but, like I'm saying, these people that, oh, their backs are scratched by demons and all this stuff. I'm not so sure. I'm not a demonic expert, so I can't say. You know, that's right. not my thing. But I've never found, I don't know about you, but I've never found ghosts or spirits to be evil or, or yeah, demonic. I, I haven't either. No. I found them to be, in fact, my, Gary, for me, I don't know, do you ever see the movie The Others with Nicole Kidman? Yes. So in that movie, you know that they don't even know they're the ghosts until the end. Mm -hmm. They think they're living in a house and people are serving. Turns out they're actually the ghosts. Well, I found in my my work, it seems like most of these spirits don't really know they're dead. They just they think they're you know, and we cross over with our vibrations on occasion. Right. And so they see us, or we see them, or we hear them, or whatever for a brief moment in time. But in reality. I think they're just in a holding place between our world and the next. And they really think they're just living life still and they don't realize they're even dead. So I don't think they intentionally want to hurt us. Mm -hmm. I don't think, and we don't want to hurt them. I think it's just life. You know, they're just people and they're in a different place now. And that's why I, these shows off times, they really kind of hurt me because I think they give the public in a way, a negative image of spirits and the Some spirit do. world, which, which I don't like. Yeah, I don't, I don't like the demonic stuff either, and I never have encountered it. And in fact, I had one guest who was a demonologist, and he gave me like a, a, a he had a list of things that that caused people to become possessed. And like one of them was like um, divination, practicing magic, and I, I forget what the other ones were, but I did them all. I've done them all multiple tons of times. Drugs was one of them. I was like, you know, I, I feel like I'm left out now. Like I, I've been, I've done drugs. I've practiced magic. I've done divination. <laughs> I've done this. And I've never been possessed. I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why, why don't these demons want anything to do with me? <laughs> his answer yeah. was, his answer was, you're not important enough. <laughs> Bob Larson at all? Yeah. Okay. So when you watch Bob Larson, I, I and for those that are listening, he's a, a minister that does uh, exorcisms, and he'll do he'll exercise anybody. Mm -hmm. And um, but but 
when he when I watch him, what I like watching him for is he's very skilled in psychology and in doing a uh, using psychology in a psychology session to help people because that's really an amazing when you watch him it's actually a very amazing and rapid uh, it's very much similar to hypnotherapy in a sense mm-hmm. because people have opened their minds to their imagination they believe what they're that it's real what's happening to them it becomes part of their being and it's really based on issues that happen you know if you listen to them they'll say oh well they were in they had done witchcraft or done this anyway so it's the subconscious controlling the conscious mind. And so he brilliantly, you wouldn't think it, but brilliantly he's using psychology techniques and what we use in hypnotherapy mm-hmm. to make rapid positive change in people. He frames it with the Christian religion, but in all honesty, he's doing, you know, psychotherapy and, and he's doing it in a rapid way. So actually his works, actually it's very impressive what he's doing, but not for the reasons he says it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I just don't believe these evil spirits are out there to get us. Me neither. I don't Me believe. Me neither. It. I haven't ever seen it, and I've been to amazingly haunted places. If I most my my best paranormal experiences have been with dead, dead relatives. I started as a kid mm-hmm. when I was a really young kid. I guess I was well, not really young, but so I was. I had a paper out, so I'm gonna guess I was somewhere like around 11 years old. And I was delivering papers. One of the places I had, I had this weird place I delivered papers to was an old factory. And I was riding my bike across this empty parking lot to get to the factory to, to deliver the paper. And I look over and I, I saw my grandmother. And she was just drifting across the parking lot. She looked at me. She smiled. She waved. And then she vanished. I was like, whoa. And then I went home and I told my parents. My parents were like, don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so so that was one of them that I had like where I actually saw something. Um, well, you know, love is a very strong power. And, yeah, and love, as they say, um, uh, the second the second uh, musical of the Phantom of the Opera is called "Love Never Dies," and it really doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so your grandma loved you deeply, I'm sure, and so of course she would appear to you. Why not? Mm-hmm. And then after my mom had passed away, I was. We moved in to take care of my dad. My dad was a really cranky guy. And <laughs> and whenever he would start like really misbehaving and acting out and becoming abusive, like something would happen, like a pitcher would fall over or whatever, you know. And it happened it wasn't like a one off thing. It happened whenever he started like to misbehave. <laughs> and that was pretty incredible too. They'll come back at you, that's for sure that way. I mean, uh, your dad probably it was his dad or his mom, you know, mm-hmm. maybe your grandma was there. You know, and that was what was happening. She didn't like him acting off that way to you guys. Yeah. And then um, when he was passing away, uh, we had put a baby monitor in the room with him so we could hear him if he was in pain and stuff. It was like once he was in hospice. And he was constantly talking to people that were already passed away. He was having complete conversations with people. And it was like my relatives, like all my past relatives were coming to him saying, Come on, pal. You got to let go. It's time. It's time. Yeah, my mom, I was with my mom during the last weeks of her life also. And you'll find that a lot. Uh, my mom was talking to people that she hadn't seen in years. Yeah. And it was real to her. And there were people that were long gone that were on the other side. So it tells you that there's much more to this life than we perceive, you know? So what do you think reality is? 
Do you think it's holographic? Do you think it's energy? Or do you believe that there actually is a, a physical reality that we're living in? Or is it just some state of consciousness? You know, um, it's uh, it would only be a belief because really there's only, I guess only God would know the answer. Right, we don't but, know. We can but, theorize. But, but, <laughs> yeah, but, but, but for me, I do feel we're here. I feel we exist. I do feel it's part of the journey we have to make to keep moving on and becoming what we're ultimately meant to be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, yeah, I think we're here. I don't think this is, I don't think we're in the matrix or something like that. I think we really are here and we're really living this moment. But again, um, whether there's reincarnation steps before this or during this or after this, and whether there's spiritual steps becoming a spirit in person beyond this and moving on from this, whatever the steps are, there's probably multiple levels and it's all because we have to achieve whatever is the ultimate goal to achieve. But I don't think our spirit or our, our energy, what we are, ever ends. I think it continues going on from this place to the next to the next. Yeah, I do too. I, I do think sometimes, though, that we might possibly be living inside a dream. Like, 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 like maybe God or universe or, or maybe there's many gods i mean it's, it's kind of incomprehensible to even theorize and say that no you know but uh i always wonder like some kind, if it's some kind of dream and then when we die we actually wake up or fall into another well, dream guess, or yeah i guess if you were to become a spirit and be in another place after this it would be sort of like waking up yeah transitioning right so every time you transition the question is if you were if you retain the knowledge from this life or if you're now to another level and it, this is no longer part of your being mm -hmm. we don't know that um i i know that studying the bible a lot a lot of christian from the christian standpoint a lot of people believe that when you go to heaven you're no longer going to be necessarily wanting to see the people you loved or the, you're going to be in a different place then and a different mindset and a different life so i i don't know i don't know exactly the answer to that to be truthful but but I would think that we do retain part of our memory, part of what we are. And if we didn't, what would be the point of keep moving on and keep growing and being something more? It, when it, you have to learn from past experience or else you can't go to the next step in life, whether it's in this mm -hmm. life or the next, I would think. Yeah, I think at the very least, we would keep to some of the strength or momentum that we've built yes. up. You know, it, as a continuation. Oh, yeah. Um. How about out-of-body experience? Can a person be hypnotized to have an out-of-body experience? Um, you know, um, I think I think that could be possible. I mean, obviously, meditation leads to that as well. Um, the question is the definition of out-of-body experience, you know? Mm -hmm. um, is it just separating the mind from the body for a period of time so that your mind has total imagination, total you know, total clarity, or do you really separate your body, your spirit from your body and go somewhere else? I know about, you know, astral projection, all of this, but is it that the mind is so powerful that when you separate the need for it to be connected with your body for that moment, it can actually do things that we don't imagine, like seeing things at a distance, uh, remote viewing, all of that. Do we have that ability, but because we're so attached to the physical uh, or it's so focused on the physical running of our body, mm -hmm. do we not be able to unlock that power? Ability? Right. So, so, so if that's the case, if, if it is an attachment to our body, 
you should be able to hypnotize somebody to, to loosen that attachment. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I haven't done that. You haven't done it? So. Not that. Not quite that depth. Uh, but yes, I would assume that, you know, when they talk about remote viewing, I would think that hypnosis could enhance that skill set mm-hmm. a great deal. I actually interviewed somebody who was part of Project Stargate, which was the remote viewing project, for, you know, by the government. And he, he actually sent me the tapes that were made by Mon, Bob Monroe for that project. Wow. So I have them. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I haven't really gotten any results from them, but they're cool. They're interesting. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was, you know, I do believe when we know remote viewing can produce um, possibilities. I think it's like everything, though. The government tries to put it in a box and tries to get you know, tries to enhance it. And I think people have natural skills and you've got to find those people and they're very rare. Mm-hmm. So I think trying to make it a, a, a weapon, weaponize it, I'm not sure that that's doable to a great extent. I think honestly, uh, to find those individuals that have that innate ability or that natural ability probably takes a great deal of effort. And I'm not so sure there's more than a certain percentage of the, possibi- of the public that have those abilities. So I think you can probably, it's like with hypnosis, you can hypnotize everyone, but there's going to be a few that are somnambulous who can do amazing things with their minds. Right. What do you think of, uh, like, like, you know, like we, I know we already know what you think like, of the like, mediums because we were talking about dead files. Yeah. But, but do you think that some mediums just use hypnosis to, to, you know, to their clients, like to hypnotize their clients to believe that a message is coming from somebody rather than actually communicating with it? spirit well i would think they're using hypnotic techniques i mean we can go back to houdini mm-hmm. uh, if you want to go back to his yeah, era exactly uh, he was really big on that yeah so it's been 100 years since houdini walked on stage and yet his work in the spirit world uh you know after his mother died we should probably educate the listeners a little bit but after his mom died he loved her so much he had a really deep attachment to her maybe some say not a good attachment psychologically but he was so deeply attached to her, he, he didn't want to give her up. So he went to all the, the spiritualists of the time. And, of course, not all of them he went to. He exposed totally because they were using magic techniques to sway the people that came in to see them. And, again, it's about opening the imagination to the point where people uncritically accept the concept. And so, in a way, you could say that spiritualists, mediums do use hypnotic techniques. Whether the people actually achieve a trance in that situation, that's another question. But, you know, some mediums and, and, and people of that nature even use smells pumped into the room, different things to enhance that experience. It's very much like an amusement park, only on a you know, small level. Mm-hmm. Um, they're creating this, this experience that's enhanced by smell, sight, sound, um, um, scripting, uh, wordage, all of this. So in a way, they are creating a hypnotic atmosphere uh, those that are disingenuous. Now, Amy on Amy Allen, I don't. I think she's amazing. Right. But, but you know, there are the spiritualists that you go to see that they've created this situation that's like a mini amusement park ride, and you decide to take that ride and are open to it. So then you enjoy. It's like if you go to Disneyland, you can be on uh, Indiana Jones. You start believing this is real for just a second, just yeah. for a second, you start believing the reality of it because you're so immersed in it and the music and the action and the visuals. And, and you want to have that Disney experience, so you become a child again, 
and it becomes real for just those few moments or few, even a microsecond for just that time. It's real. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, how about like the occult, like magic? Do you think people hypnotize themselves into believing that magic is real? Or do you think that there is something to the occult and what they do, you know? Well, here's the thing. It goes back to your belief systems. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I believe in God, okay? And so I believe there is supernatural. Because if there wasn't, there couldn't be God. It has to be supernatural. It's right. not natural not in the natural world. So therefore, if you believe in the supernatural in any in any way, then you have to believe there's other people using the supernatural in positive and negative ways. So therefore, yeah, there has to be some kind of magic in this world. Because if there wasn't, then there's nothing more and we might then we might be might as well be atheists because there's nothing more beyond this world. So I would say that again, it's like with Amy or anybody else. Um, not everybody has that ability. I don't believe you can go to school and say, oh, I'm going to do A, B, C, and D, and now I can make a dragon appear. I don't believe that. <laughs> um, but I do believe there are certain people that have a supernatural, natural supernatural abilities or connection that probably do, are able to do something that we might consider magic. Of course, magic in the old days would now be called science to a great extent. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I did a, a whole episode on the, how hermeticism became science. Right, right. So it's it's a perspective thing, you know. Mm -hmm. But again, you have to assume if there are spirits, if there are, if there's a God, if there is, which I do believe in, if there's Amy, then there has to be people that can manifest things or do some type of magic to some level. Yeah. You know who else I like as, as a, a medium that I think is really good is Chip Coffee. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, I, I like Chip a lot. I tried to get him on a couple of times, but not no luck so far. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, but but no, he's yeah, and and there's some others too out there that are legit, and they're they're you know you can usually tell the people that are legit because of how they care about the people they're working with. Yeah, that's um, a good one. You know, that's the basic thing. If you see them, and they're they're not uplifting positive or try to find solutions for the people and are caring with the people. Generally, they're not really mediums. They're people that are in it for the business. But like you see with Amy every episode, I mean, she's there to help those people and she really feels sorry and really wants to help them out of their situation. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a good sign. That's a sign of a good medium. Yeah. Yeah. I would say so far, I've probably interviewed 30 or 40 different psychics and mediums and, um, yeah, I, I've had to, out of, out of the, that many, there's really two, that three, actually, that have really, really impressed me. Right. Right. Because yeah. they're going to be talking about, you know, helping the people find solutions. They're going to be talking about, you know, I really felt sorry for these people. I, I really couldn't help them this particular mm -hmm. time, and I wish I could have. Or, you know, think, they're going to talk like that. That's how they're going to be talking. Not about their abilities and how I did this and I did that. But how did I help the people? Right. Did I, you know, did the, how the people felt after I helped them, mm -hmm. and how wonderful I felt for doing that? That's going to be a sign of a someone who's a true medium. Right. And, and some of them too. The, the ones that I really know are good are ones that give direct information. Yeah. And, and others will sort of just talk in circles. They have like a circular way of talking. Yes, you're right. You're absolutely right on that. You'll see that. You'll watch them, and they'll. They'll never give complete answers. They'll never get a, a <laughs> solution or a, a direction for the people to go in. It's all in vague, 
big explanations and and they kind of well they're reading people is what they're doing mm -hmm. they're reading the and they're feeding off that like a good car salesman in a way <laughs> we were talking about that but so they're reading the person and they're spinning it around to make that when you can make a connection with people so they feel you understand them then they open up more and then you do it more and then you do it more so that at, by the end of it, it's like how did they know all that well because it's like again the frog boiling in the pan in the pan little by little they're getting information so finally you're boiled because you totally are sold into it you know mm -hmm. because you don't realize they took me here and they took me there and finally they have this all you remember is the last product which is wow how did they come to that revelation well it's because they little by little brought that information out and moved and moved till they got you cornered and then they knew a lot about you and then they can make these assessments hmm. how about past life regression okay. I, I mean that's well, one of the topics I, i've covered that past lives and reincarnation quite a bit and, and even in personally i i do believe in 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 that reincarnation is one of probably many possibilities or things that happen however I have, even in my, my neighborhood, there's a past life regression therapist who seems to be selling a particular ideology. Yeah, let me let me tell you my take on it, because it's totally different and very, um, a bit controversial in hypnotherapy world, mm -hmm. um, because it has become a big moneymaker, to be frank. And so here's my take on it. Um, I have not seen proof myself because it's not my area of expertise. I haven't really delved into it that deeply, but of the few cases I've seen, I haven't necessarily seen proof of, of that, of past life. However, I don't advertise past life regression and I don't do it for a reason. I don't want people to write a script in their mind before they come to see me. that's already pre-programmed that is going to emerge during a session. So, the first topical part of this is, to answer your question, is past life regression is an excellent modality of treatment if people need to create a past life to be able to face the sadness, the hurt that they have in their lives. Perhaps they can't face it on a level of just themselves looking at it. Maybe it's too frightening. Maybe it's too upsetting. So if they can face it through being someone else, that's a good thing because that okay. gives them that opportunity. Yeah. Now. Having said that, I will take it to a deeper level of my belief of past life. You know, most of us have eyes like our grandfather or maybe an ear shaped like our grandmother or something like that, right? Right. I mean, we have some look, some feature, oh, some, some personality trait that was of our grandpa or our grandma. Maybe of our great-grandma that we never knew, but our dad says, you know, you're just like your great-grandma was. You, you, you do this or you do that, right? So why when memory engrams of past generations, just like characteristics and uh, physical characteristics pass on within our minds and our bodies. Why wouldn't some of those memories from people pass memories? I would I would frame it more as past memory regression. Um, mm. and, and so let's say that your great, great, great grandfather, um, you, you, you decide that you're the king of Egypt and during a session. Well, maybe your great-great-grandfather read a book about the king of Egypt and was a student of the king of Egypt, knew everything about the king of Egypt, and it was so impactful psychologically on him, the stories and the, what he learned, that it became part of his psychology, and it, then it 
downloaded, as it were, or uploaded through time as a memory engram. So when you get hypnotized, you lock into that memory engram just as you would if you had an ear the same shape as your great grandfather. And that becomes a past life that you feel you experienced. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? That could be one explanation. Um, like one of the things that that makes me really believe in, in reincarnation is how the llamas find a reincarnated person because they'll they'll go out looking and looking and looking and they'll bring like a bunch of objects and they'll show them to you know a child that doesn't even know how to speak yet and they'll ask the child to identify the objects that belong to him and the one that picks out all the objects that belong to him the one and discards the ones that didn't you know. Or, or you yeah. know, proves. Yeah, I mean, there's some that's just, that's some hard evidence for me to dispute. Well, I'm not. I'm not saying things like that mm -hmm. don't exist. That, like I'm saying, that mediums and supernatural doesn't exist. I'm saying that it's a very small percentage that exists that way. Perhaps. Yeah. And as such, you can't go in and say, "I want to buy an e-ticket for the ride on the uh, on the uh, you know <laughs> past life regression train, and I'm going to have this fun ride." <laughs> It doesn't work that way. Yes. Uh, I, some people do perhaps have been past lives. They perhaps lived a past life. Mm -hmm. They perhaps are reincarnated. But I'm not so certain that it's 100% of the population that have been that way. Interesting. You may be right. I, I always think when it comes to these type of subjects, I think there's always an unlimited possibilities. and. Oh, yeah. A lot of times, there's probably more than one thing going on, like like the genetic memory, like the, the memory being in family DNA. I mean, that's kind of like an almost like an undeniable. You can't even argue that one. <laughs> yeah, but you you find it interesting in in the hypnotherapy realm. A lot of people criticize me for my thinking on that, um, uh -huh. but but I I do feel that that makes it makes sense, right? And if something makes sense on a logical level, mm -hmm. then Perhaps there's a lot of truth to it. Because one of the things that I get quite often is people who go to past life regressionists and then they come back saying that they are um, what's considered in terms of star seed. They're either a uh, reincarnated Syrian or a reincarnated Pleiadian or a reincarnated Arturian. And I get so many of those. And, you know, I don't know what to really make of that. Like, well, sometimes I think, like, there's hypnotists out there that are planting seeds in people. Well, you know, it's, you don't really have to plant anything. People have a big imagination. <laughs> <laughs> and it just depends where their head's at at the time and what they believe in and their mindset. So I mean, it's people, just people wanting to feel special. Tool. So I don't think that hypnotists necessarily. But again, you know, like with past life, there's a lot of hypnotists that specialize in alien abduction so therefore people go in with a script pre-written in their minds and therefore they respond to that script when they're in hypnosis mm -hmm. so you know um i would say if you go into a standard hypnotherapist and if things just naturally progress that way i never judge it could be true right. everything we're talking about could be true i'm you know honestly but as long as it's helping me to find a solution for their daily life and for their normal life if that's the way they access that solution, then I'm happy to work with them that way. But again, it could be true too, but I don't have the knowledge to know that. <laughs> well, you know, you bring up the alien abduction. Um, you know, like what, obviously one of the most famous alien abduction cases was Betty and Barney Hill. 
and, and they didn't remember it until during a until a hypnosis session. Um, do you think they were actually abducted? I mean, or do you think it was a you know they wanted to believe they were abducted? Well, you know, I think there has to be some truth to it because being that they were a mixed race marriage, which wasn't particularly accepted at that time, um, I think that. You know, they wouldn't want to stick their neck out and put this big story out and possibly ruin their entire lives. Mm. So there has to be some there has to be some truth to it. Now, the question is, was it alien abduction or did the government abduct them for some reason? Uh, or was there some other type of thing that happened to them uh, because of their mixed marriage? Who knows? I mean, did they were they in a situation where I, I really don't know the answer is the truth, but. What I am saying, there is some, there has to be a great deal of validity to it in some extent, because being in the situation they were in, they would have been ostracized, and they essentially did end up being ostracized to a great deal. But they, their lives would have been ruined by them making that statement. So who would do that in that situation unless they really felt that they had experienced some type of a genuine uh, situation there? Yeah, I mean, when when it's going to ruin a person's life, or when it's coming from a person who has a whole lot to lose, you know, um, I recently I haven't put out this one out yet, but the other day I interviewed somebody who is a an assistant attorney general, mm. and and he, you know he talks about his alien abduction experience, and I mean, super credible. I couldn't get a more credible person than that, right? Right. I, well, you know, I will say um, I have seen some UFOs in my life. I've never been abducted, but mm -hmm. I have seen some UFOs. Um, and so I have some sensitivity to believing the stories. Um, what I do uh, during hypno grad night season for high schools, I do shows from about midnight till about six in the morning, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. One night I was driving with my assistant, uh, who was also a hypnotherapist, and very credible. We were driving down from a grad night. We had finished at three in the morning back to LA. And it was probably about, I don't know, maybe like 5.30 in the morning, five in the morning. And over to the right of us, over a field, there was one of those V-shaped, we hear about this all the time. Oh, they're like the triangle V-shaped, mm -hmm. like, like the Phoenix yep, lights. With lights coming down on the ground, flying parallel with us. And it was there and then boom, it, it just went, it was gone. So uh, that happened. I've talked to a lot of pilots also because I worked on cruise ships for many years. So I work with a lot of people that fly internationally and pilots telling me about seeing things drop like we saw recently with the, the one that just happened with American Airlines. Mm -hmm. This thing drops down in front of them, multicolored, and bam, it's gone. These are people that are credible. Now, the abduction part of it, I haven't had any personal experience with. But the UFO part, definitely I've had a lot of things happen that way. And, and for me personally, seeing one twice, wow. uh, not the other one was a ball and it was multicolored green, yellow, and red, I believe mm -hmm. and it was flat. And I was going past a, actually it was strange. I was leaving in a, a rehearsal one night, late at night, about two in the morning, driving over a hill. Now on the left was a big cemetery on the right was a place that was known to have devil worshipers actually. And so this thing was flying along over that area where the devil worshipers were on the right of me on the highway. Mm -hmm. I went off the highway to chase it. And I went over because I love, I'm not going to, I'm going to chase it. I want to see what's going <laughs> on. So, you, know, you would too, I'm sure. Absolutely. So, 
<laughs> yeah, so I went over the hills, and when I got over the final hill towards where this valley was, where these, quote, devil worshiper type people were, it was known that, it was just a known thing, it was gone. So that, I don't know if it was UFO as much as something to do with supernatural, but definitely the other one that was the triangle shape definitely looked just like the ones we see on these programs on TV that they use CGI to produce. It looked exactly like that. So, but as far as the abduction end of it, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, we have to trust people. We have to trust credible people. Sounds like this guy you had on is totally credible. Yeah. So it me to believe that, again, not all these abduction things are, act, are real, but probably a percentage of them could be accurate. Now, the question is, where do these UFOs, where do these people come from? They come from center of the earth. Do they come from an alternate dimension like over in the triangle? Or do they come from space? We don't know that. We don't know the answer to that. But there is definitely something there. And there is definitely something happening. Where it's generated from, that's the big question I have. Right. That and are there more than one species? Like, are they coming from different yeah. places? Is there a possibility like like that, that, that you know, changing uh, color of orb that you saw over the hill... I mean that that's like that. Say that's maybe like a, a multi-dimensional type of, of thing, right. and the actual craft that you saw, the triangular V-shaped craft, something mechanical, could have been like a, a real physical, you know, right. species that traveled here from another planet. Right. You know. And then you have reptilians. You have the greys. You have all these things mm -hmm. that people have seen in their mind's eye, and they're credibly seeing them in their mind's eye. So where does that lead us? I mean, it's it's so vast. The concept is so vast. Uh, when I hear people talk about it and just kind of say, "Well, this is A, B, and C, and D, and this is how it is," it's like, "How can you be? How can you be sure of that?" There's yes. too much. There's too. It's too vast. There. What we can say is, there's definitely something. Mm -hmm. We don't know where it comes from, but it definitely exists. And for some people, it has affected them in a very deep emotional way. So we can say that. But as far as bringing it into a shell or into a into a magazine and saying this is what it is. I don't think we can do that. No, absolutely not. I, the, the possibilities are too many to discount anything. In fact, I'm, I'm sure that I'm not even, as, as a human being, I'm not able to come up with all the possibilities. It'd be impossible. You're right. It's literally impossible. I, yeah. I'm probably only able to come up with maybe 5% of the possibilities. Yeah, and all we can do is, is listen to these other people and expand our knowledge base and hopefully you know, find more and more about it so that we can get a better grasp on it and get our minds, our human minds around this amazing, you know, concept. So what was it like when you saw that V-shaped craft? Did you chase it? it was, I, you know, it was crazy because we were on, we were actually on a major highway in California, Highway uh, 5 going up north, uh, going south at that point. But we were on that major highway in the middle of the night. There were a couple other cars going by. But, you know, so many people in life, like you were saying earlier, mm -hmm. people are so busy with what they're doing. And they're so busy moving from what A to B. They don't take the time to really look. Now, I happen to be into astronomy. I, I like astronomy. Yeah, so I look too. at the sky quite a bit. And um, hopefully not too much when I'm driving. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I do. And I looked. I saw it over there. I said, the, my partner was named Chase. I said, Chase, look at that. And so we were like, she goes, I can't believe that. And we, you know, we were totally in shock because it was so clear and it was so real. And it was only about, oh, no more than a baseball, uh, football field away at the most, at the most, but it might've been probably 50 yard line, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit more. So it was very close. And so we could clearly see what it was. It wasn't some mystery thing, but unfortunately we were on the highway. So there was no off ramp. So I couldn't get off at that time. 
and chase it. Otherwise, I would have more because that's just the way I do. I would do. But I uh, didn't have that opportunity that time. But it was so clear. It was not a not. And it was both of us. So it's not like it's not like, oh, I saw it some, you know, by myself. We both saw it. We both could clearly see it. We both have told many people about it. We were not asleep. We were fully aware. And it was amazing. That is amazing. Yeah, it was. Other than uh, finding Bigfoot, that's at the top of my list. (laughs) I'd love to see Bigfoot. You know, I've, I've been watching some shows lately, and they've been discussing the possibility that Bigfoot is an alternate dimension from an alternate dimension, and that's why they can't find him. Well, that's mm-hmm. an easy solution, but it also opens your mind to thoughts, possibilities, right? Right. I had um, Ron Moorhead on my show, and, oh. and, and and that was his theory. And Ron is a really credible guy. I mean, Bob Gimlin wrote the foreword to his book. Right. And, right. Um, you know, and, and he said for a long time he held out coming, you know, writing that book and coming out to those theories. But, you know, he's just another one of those people. He's like, well, I'm old. I'm going to die soon anyway. So I want to tell people some of my ideas. Well, and, you know, that could apply to all the cryptids to some extent, too. I mean, uh, whether it's the skunk, whatever, or the, mm-hmm. or, the, or the Mothman or any of those, it could actually be, well, it could be related to the spirit thing, too. It's about vibrations and vibrations crossing. And at some points, those vibrations cross for just a brief time and, you there here and we're there and then those vibrations stop and then it's gone so there it's a possibility it's one of those one of those possible possibilities that's true too because sometimes i wonder like maybe we accidentally walk into their dimension or they accidentally walk into our dimension or it's a combination of both well you know when you add deja vu into that mix and it becomes even more interesting Deja vu is another strange one, you know, because because of yeah. time. Like, you know, we don't even know what time is. No, no, we assume it's linear, but <laughs> but in it, is it is it linear or is it really not linear? But that's the only way we can comprehend time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've had. I think that time is not linear just because I had. There's certain a reason why I I believe some of the things, and that's because um you know. A couple of years ago, I had like an epileptic seizure, and one that was like an out of body experience. I definitely was not in my body; I was somewhere else, my consciousness. You know, so that's why I'm really big on the out of body experience, yeah. near death experience type of stuff. But the other yeah. part of that, though, is the time. I, I felt like I was only there a second, and then I heard my wife yelling my name, and I woke up, and by then I was already in the ambulance. A half hour had passed, and what seemed like a second. So. If time, at the very least, is not linear, I mean, it's certainly different. There's- well, I'll give you another, from the hypnosis standpoint, um, I'll give you another example that's similar to what you're talking about, but it's really a hypnotic, hypnosis mm-hmm. process that happened. One time I was coming down from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, very late at night, driving all the way back to L.A. It's about a, I don't know, 800, 900-mile ride, whatever. Um, I got to... Um, Salt Lake City, and I could see the tabernacle for the Mormon Tabernacle Choir and all that over on the left. It's mm-hmm. very well lit at night. Anyway, about, I don't know, a few miles out of south of there, I don't remember how I got from there to the Nevada border when the sun was up. It was nighttime. All of a sudden, the sun was up at the Nevada border. Now, 
more than likely it was self-hypnosis known as highway hypnosis and more than likely i was fully aware of what i was doing on that drive yet my mind was taking a break or the conscious part in my mind now you could also say was i abducted you could also say was it something different but i think it's probably the highway hypnosis in fact you look in most of the uh warranty books of your vehicles there's a whole page or more explaining highway hypnosis and how to avoid it uh, while you're driving so it's a very real phenomena and perhaps when you're in the situation like you were talking about you might go into a hypnotic state a trance-like state and then you experience what you're experiencing the way that you did and and hours seem like minutes you know from going from the uh, salt lake city from salt lake city to nevada you're talking hours yeah hours so it was probably about two in the morning there when I woke up. It was about six thirty in the morning, in Nevada, mm-hmm. and I had been driving the whole time. That's a lot. That's huge. But it seemed like what five minutes, right? So it's perception. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, you know, it, it time could be more perception than anything else. Correct. Because if you can be, Correct. if you can enter a hypnotic state where, you know. Five hours seems like a half hour. <laughs> it's crazy, isn't it? It is. Well, you look at just simple examples of that. Um, I, you have someone, somebody in, living in your house with you, Gary? Usually, my wife. Okay. So, okay, your wife, usually. Well, that's good. <laughs> oh, right, right. Her, she has, her, her, aunt, her aunt dies, so she stays at, and takes care of her uncle on the weekends. And... Understood, understood. So my wife lives in Texas, so I get it. Uh, I'm in California. <laughs> I love each other. We're crazy about each other, but we both have business interests in both different states, so we, we can't be together as much as we'd like. Yeah. But we want to be married. So I guess I have a further relation, further relationship than you do. So, <laughs> so the deal is this. Um, have you ever been sitting at the TV and you're watching something you're very fascinated by, and during that time, your wife comes up to you and says something, and it's very important to her, but after that show's over, you have no idea what she said to you. Have you ever had that happen? All the time. Okay, because you're opening your imagination, relaxing, you're focusing, and your mind's going into that trance state. And so essentially, you're impervious to what's happening around you. And so that's the same concept as driving and getting from A to B and not remembering where you were from one point A to point B. It's just, it's sort of a different approach to it. It's the same thing you're talking about when you're in that ambulance and one minute you were, it, it was one minute and the next minute was much later. It's all connected and it all works with the human mind and the human mind is so powerful that we really haven't fully explored the full abilities we have. So anyway, I was just saying we've all experienced this in one way or another in a simple way, in a complex way. So our minds are totally capable of creating this for us when we need it. It's just with hypnosis, of course, I'm able to do it on demand for people. That's the difference. But but what you're discussing, I think everybody's experienced it some minor or major extent in their life. Wow. So now when my wife asked me, why didn't I take out the trash? I can say, oh, I was in a trance when you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> but remember, you have to want to take the trash out or you're not. <laughs> I, I, I just say I'm hard of hearing from too many heavy yeah. metal shows. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Um, so, um, wow, we've covered so much, man. You've been a fantastic guest. You were amazing. A little bit. 
I'd love to talk a little bit about the mental issues of the pandemic. Not yeah, quite. yeah, let's talk Not about quite. that. That is what we've been talking about. Because this pandemic has had a really bizarre effect on everyone and everything. It, 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 it changed the world, like, overnight. Yes, it did, and not in some good ways, because, you know, I've been enjoying, uh, I don't want to say it's totally negative, because people are so comfortable with Zoom now that I've been enjoying doing seminars all over the world. I mean, last week I was in South Africa, Berlin, Germany, uh, <laughs> and I was in um, England. So I really am enjoying some good things have come uh -huh. out of it because open up our, we've opened up the Star Trek technology, you know, which is cool. But, um, but there's a lot of negatives aside from the mental health end of it. You know, um, people think, oh, we're getting the vaccine. Everything's going to be okay. Well, for some people it will be. For some it will be. Um, but for many, the scars psychologically we've had from this are going to live with us for a long time. And um, so that's, I mean, I'm, I don't want to do a commercial, but I do the, what's yeah. called COVID doses hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. And I call it the ultimate pandemic relief program because it's dealing with the major issues, which are the first one is uh, out of all of them is anxiety and stress. Right. And the second one that was caused by it is sleep deprivation or sleep issues. And the third one is confidence building and weight issues because we, we've gained a lot of weight sitting at home through this thing with lockdowns. In California, we've been locked down since the beginning. I know many states like South Dakota has been open just like always, but there are many of us that have not. And as such, it's caused some incredibly difficult challenges for people. And so I'm working with helping people with that via Zoom hypnotherapy sessions. But, um, but the thing is, we have to face those things. If we don't, they'll continue to affect us, just like we were talking about at the very beginning of the program, mm -hmm. about things affecting us throughout our lives. Because anything that's really traumatic, or really dramatic will break into that subconscious and then it'll stay there swimming around. So we really have to face these things because there's a larger pandemic that's happening other than just the illness itself. So how do you think this is going to affect children? I mean, children, I mean, ch children are going to need something to get over this later in life. Well, you know, it depends on the parents, of course, as always, and how the parents frame what's going on to the children. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, most parents are so busy, as you say, with their lives going along, they don't really focus on the moments that are important with the children because they don't literally have to worry about survival right now with yeah. income and everything. Many people have lost their work. So I don't blame them. But children are going to absorb this in a very real and dramatic way. And so it's really important for us parents to frame this in the best possible ways you can. Uh, my daughter and son are both teachers. And so they do right now in California, they're only doing distance teaching. And so many people are down on the teachers about this. But honestly, my daughter and my son have done amazing things with the students, things that they couldn't normally do at school, mm -hmm. um, creating virtual classrooms that have many. Like yesterday, my, my daughter took the kids on a, a field trip to someplace up by Sacramento that these kids would never be able to afford to go. They did it virtually with a guide uh, on Zoom, and they got to see things and experience things they would have never experienced. That's so cool. there's a good positives. And if you can frame that that way, rather than saying to your kids, oh, I'm so sorry you can't be with your friends at school. I'm so sorry you're not at school. This is terrible. We're going to talk to the school. Instead of creating that kind of anxiety for children, say, you know what? It's true you're not with your friends right now, but guess what? Every day you're going to do things you never would have got to done if you'd gone to regular school. Mm -hmm. So it's all about how we frame things, right? It's all about making a positive and a negative. It's all about looking at a glass half full and half empty. See what I mean? That part I can see. But I also under think, like, you know, some kids, like, you know, 
like say, uh, you know, grandma and grandpa get COVID and die, you know, and, and also living in abusive households. I get all that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause parents like adults are not handling as well either, which is affecting no. the children, you know, being cooped up and not having their usual freedom, um, stressing right. about money, not having money to pay rent, not having money to buy food. Right. Yeah. It all goes back to that unloved, that, rejection, that sickness, that aging, that poverty, that death, those issues are all part of this COVID situation. And you're right, they're weighing down the children in a heavy way because unfortunately, parents just don't have the tools to deal with it. Um, and so you're right, it's gonna be a long-term issue and it will affect them. But again, some things may affect them positively. And you know, some kids, most kids are very resilient. Yeah. And thank goodness they are, they can, they can, you know, overcome these stresses sometimes better than adults in reality because they do have resilience. Um, so you have to hope that there's a higher power that's making sure that things go the way they should mm -hmm. and hopefully help people as best as possible. But that's where I come in because I can work with all age groups. And so I, my little part of the world, I'm going to do my part to help people. So, so is that kind of like, a, is, is COVID sort of causing like a, um, like a PTSD type of syndrome. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That's right on the you're right on target with that. And any issues that we have already, it's amplifying. Uh -huh. Okay, all those issues of of rejection, all those things from we had already as baggage that need to be worked on. This thing's putting you know uh, gas on the fire, as it were. So it's it's critical. Even if you don't go to a therapist like myself, you know, uh, it's critical to be aware of your own thoughts. You know, I always tell people, be honest with yourself and you'll do better in life. But we tend to want to cover or put aside the things that we don't, that are uncomfortable, but it's better to face them. It's better to feel, feel them out and say, you know what? That's yesterday. Today's another day. Tomorrow I have a new beginning. So let's take a look at that and let's see how I can go that direction and not let these things continue to be fire on the flame. But you know, again, you can't just run from A to B to C to D and keep going endlessly in this merry-go-round. You've got to be in the moment and you've got to do your best to be focused on that moment. And, you know, I always tell people there was a saying in a Rocky movie that I love. You know, I don't know if you remember when Rocky said, um, he said, one step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time. That's how winning is done. <laughs> I messed that slide a while back, by the way. But, but uh, that says it all, really. Take it one step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time. Don't look at the big issues. Don't let the past keep dictating your future. Just take one step at a time, mm -hmm. going you're heading to a new beginning, and figure out how to make that a better beginning. You know, I never even, I, I didn't know how to, uh, like when I started, I can't try to think of how to put this in words, but it wasn't until I started meditating that I realized that what my thoughts even were. <laughs> You know, it wasn't until That's I actually right. stopped and, and and sat down for like hours at a time sometimes to actually realize what my thoughts actually were because I just ran through life. Like you said, like just completely unaware, just going from one thing to the next, you know, like that cat just chasing those shiny things. Yeah. And, I, and I never, and I never exactly. stopped. And it, it wasn't until I, like, like, God, I was like, almost like, maybe in my late thirties when I finally started meditating, it took like that long for me to sit down and finally stop and go, 
Oh, well, maybe it's these thoughts that are causing some of these issues. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, there was, you probably remember that, that, that classic uh, standard by Mac Davis, stop and smell the roses, right? Mm -hmm. And that's really what it's all about. Or like my mom's always said, in fact, this is on her tablet. Uh, she said, live every day like it's your last. Because if you put value on time, all of a sudden you start realizing each moment of that time is so valuable don't waste it on living in the past, but realize how to change the future because those moments, each moment's going to count. So don't let it pass by, like you're saying, and just run by it, like like we were saying, mm -hmm. a roller coaster. Instead of a roller coaster, make it a, a relaxed walk and enjoy each moment of that walk. And in doing so, be honest with yourself about what happened to your past and realize you're in control now. Those things don't need to control you anymore. Yeah, that, that, that's huge because, you know, and, and we can do that consciously, but I, I think I like, so I like about hypnotism is you can deal with it on that subconscious level, you know, because yeah. I don't know if meditation actually clears out that sub. It makes it aware. It brings it to the light, yes. but you're well, able that, to. That's, see, that's a good step because the meditation makes you fully aware of those things. And then you can bring those up as you talk to a hypnotherapist. Then we can take you to the subconscious and we can we can reframe them so they no longer affect you. That is the problem. You can become aware of it consciously, but unless you deal with it subconsciously, you never truly reframe it so that you so it no longer affects you in mm -hmm. the present. Just like you can reframe my uh, fear of heights. Absolutely, that's so I, right. So I can jump off the side of the Grand Canyon on a rope. Well, I'll tell you one thing real quick here that happened to me. Uh, people always ask, what's the most fascinating thing you ever did with hypnosis? Well, here's one. I was on a plane going out of Dallas. And Dallas Airport, over there, it's famous for its thunderstorms at certain parts of the year. And they're pretty mm -hmm. bad thunderstorms. <laughs> so we were going out on a plane. It was, in, it was oh, this is going to age me, but it was back when Southwest had seats that faced each other. Mm -hmm. And you just had knee to knee, okay? Uh, they don't do that anymore, but it was then. So in any case... We were going on one of those flights. I was in about the third row. Up in the front of the bulkhead seat on the right was a lady sitting with her husband face to face. So I saw that they had put a wet towel around her neck because the plane was going up and down like 50 feet at a time or something. It was like insane, right? And the wings were flapping like a bird's wings, you know? And it's going jarring noises. So I told the flight attendant, please talk to them and tell them I'm a hypnotherapist and I could help her so she won't be suffering. So she went up and talked to the husband and wife and they agreed. So I went up front, the husband changed with me seats. I faced her. I spent about eight minutes with her. I did a rapid induction. And by the way, uh, you can go into hypnosis very rapidly, unlike what most people perceive. Uh, but anyway, I did a rapid induction. Uh, I gave her some suggestions that the plane, every time it moved, that meant it was working properly and made, meant she was safer every time she felt a movement, which was true because the plane was doing its job mm -hmm. as the pilot was. So I gave, I went along that line of thought gave her those kind of suggestions after about the seven or eight minutes i brought her out of hypnosis and by the way you're not subjugated in hypnosis so i hate when people say uh that they you know you're gonna be my subject or i'm gonna you know put you in you know you're going into a relaxed state you're not being subjugated so you're in control again i want to reinforce that but but anyway i brought her out of the relaxed state of hypnosis for the rest of the 40 minutes that we were still in that thing we had about another two and a half hours but we were still in the thing the thunderstorm for about 30, 40 minutes. She was drinking and laughing and having a wonderful time on the flight. <laughs> and and everybody around her was said, hey, can I have some of that? I said, no, only one per flight. You know? <laughs> but, but the thing is, 
the thing is, that's how quickly. Now, again, remember what I was saying about the EMTs a while ago. Mm-hmm. When you have an immediate need for a change, you're open to making it happen, and it happens rapidly. So that is an example of what you're talking about with your fear of heights. I mean, for instance, um, you know, if you were trapped on the edge of a precipice and you couldn't go anywhere, you'd want in a way you want to figure a solution real quick. So you'd be very open. So we could quickly do it then. But um, but in any case. That's one of the examples that would fit what you're talking about. All right. So I'll bring you with me. What's that? I'll bring you with me. Bring me with you. Yeah. All expenses paid. <laughs> <laughs> when you mentioned the rapid induction, you know, I had uh, taken, I don't know, a course somewhere where like this guy would like induce people simply by tapping, like, like you tap them on an the arm. They're going to focus on that tap. And during that second when they're, they're focusing on a tap is when he's able to give the subconscious a, a, a suggestion. Is well, it know, really that, that is, is it really that simple? Well, some of that's NLP work too. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's kind of what you're explaining to me sounds more like a mix of NLP and, and hypnosis, but, um, but yes, uh, I can. Okay. I'll tell you an explanation. One of my inspirations in life was Bruce Lee. Okay. <laughs> I love Bruce because he was, he was uniquely talented in his industry yeah. uh, and uh, amazing, you know, amazing at what he did. Uh, I was fortunate later on to do a movie with Chuck Norris and I, I didn't. And so I, I sort of connect with Bruce in a way because I did martial arts for many years. I did a movie called The Octagon. Chuck's a nice guy, by the way. <laughs> but but in any case, Bruce, when he was on the set of his final big screen film, his first big screen international American film, Enter the Dragon, People always challenged him on the set because they wanted to get some of his fame. They thought if they could be seen publicly, some of the extras would walk up and choose him off to a fight. So he'd fight him. He'd fight any comers because he grew up on the streets of, of Hong Kong. So he would fight, take any oncomers. And he would always beat them because he was the best, right? right. Um, but, but they would challenge him on the set. Well, much the same happens to me as a traveling stage hypnotist. A lot of times I'll be in a McDonald's or I'll be in a burger joint or something or a mexican restaurant and someone will come and say we saw your show we don't do you can you really hypnotize people blah 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 i got a friend here you show me you hypnotize them well i'll assess if they're going to be wanting to do it if they're open to doing it i'm not going to make people do it because it doesn't work but if they're open to do it, i say okay you sure you are yeah and i'll just bam put them into hypnosis or i'll do some simple demonstration where i make it where they can't swallow for a few minutes things like that so i take all challenges just like bruce did only with hypnosis uh, and uh, so, yes, the answer is you can use techniques to slide. In fact, when I work with certain ethnic groups like Asian groups, mm-hmm. Asians tend to have an analytical mind. So you can't really use the standard fractional or slow relaxation techniques that you normally use to hypnotize people because it just doesn't work with them. Their minds work quickly. They think in numbers instead of words more. So what I do is I do rapid or instantaneous induction with them. It's a necessary tool to use with them because that's the only way they'll be able to access hypnosis. Mm-hmm. How about the watch on the chain? Okay. Well, that's traditional and there's a reason for it. It's a fixation point. Um, you can use a candle. In the stage show that I do, I use my eyes as a fixation. Mm-hmm. So whether it's a watch on a chain, whether it's a candle, whether it's looking at my eyes, whether I have you stare at a stuffed toy on the stage, they're a fixation point. What it does is it focuses you, it tires out your eye muscles, and it helps you relax and go into the hypnotic state. 
Interesting. How about the uh, spinning spiral wheel that I used to see in those movies in the 1960s? I use that a lot in my show, too. Um, and they, the magicians use it, too, now because they've learned about it. Uh, and sometimes even a juggler will use it. What it does, it does tire out your eye muscles and it does make an idiomotor response with your eyes. Uh, so it's an automatic in a sense. But when you add hypnosis to it, right, when you add hypnosis to it, it heightens that response and it's more powerful. So we use that also to hypnotize people because just like with, it's even more powerful, of course, than the watch or anything because it draws you in like it draws mm -hmm. you in. Right? Yeah. So that draws you in, you focus in, it opens your, and that helps to open your imagination in a very rapid way. And then you add the suggestion, the hypnotic suggestion abilities to it, and boom. You can, so it's all part of the same story. They're all different avenues that lead to hypnosis. But essentially what they are is they tire your eye muscles out, they relax you, and they make you focus. And then you're open to suggestion. And they open your imagination. That's the other thing. Ooh, wow. Um, one last question before we wrap this Absolutely. up. Hypnosis apps, do they work? Uh, yes, they can for the same reason, because they're, again, you have to want to do it. Mm -hmm. You have to place yourself in the place where you can do it, right? Like a quiet place. And then you have to focus in on what they're telling you to do. I have audio hypnosis uh, that I actually, when I do my COVID-nosis sessions, there's four sessions all together. Uh, you don't need more than that. Uh, and because hypnosis works rapidly. But after every session, I give an audio download. And people practice that audio download at home so they can keep acquiring and practicing the skill of self-hypnosis and use it for the rest of their lives. So an audio works. Uh, I can do hypnosis by the phone. I can do it by Zoom. But also those apps work too because, again, it's self-hypnosis. And they're, I'm not going to say all of them are good, but I have seen a couple that are really well put together. And they basically work on the same basis that uh, same you know, principles that we use for therapy sessions. So, yeah, they can work. And they work fine. And by the way, there's no downside. You will never stay hypnotized unless you want to. So you'll uh -huh. come out now. People are scared. Oh, if I use this app or I use this audio, will I be trapped? If that happens, you see on every National Enquirer all over the world. So it doesn't happen because it's a natural <laughs> process. You're in control. You'll bring yourself out when you feel you want to. Well, that's good to know in case I ever do like a weight loss hypnosis. You know, I still want to be able to like ice cream. Well, you know what? You can't make people not like something. Uh, first of all, they have to want to lose the weight and be committed to it. And you always have to, with self-hypnosis, even add uh, nutritional changes in your diet. You can't just continue on the way you are. You have to say, I'm committed to making this choice and then make some choices. I, I, can, I help people all the time make diet, dietitian choices because um, they need to do that along with the hypnosis to make the whole thing work. Yeah. How about um, quitting smoking? Does it really work for quitting smoking? Because quitting smoking for me, I didn't use hypnosis, which, but it was a nightmare. Yeah. Well, the great thing about hypnosis, first, yes, it works beautifully. It's been worked for decades for that. But secondly, you mentioned about it being a nightmare because of the, you know, getting off of it. Mm -hmm. um, the great thing about hypnosis is it works with anxiety and stress, right? right? And also weight. And those are some of the key factors with stopping smoking, gaining weight and having anxiety. So I give you tools along with the hypnosis to deal with those as well as the weight, as well as the anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it a smoother transition. But you're right. Anyone who really wants to quit will quit. But the question is, do you want to go cold turkey or do you want to use hypnosis and hypnotherapy to make it a more comfortable and easy transition? That's probably what I should have done. 
Can, can it work with other addictions too? Like, like, let's see, what's the worst addiction? I'll say heroin. Well, with those kind of addictions, I always recommend medical and and you know health medical professional help. But also, there are issues that are attached to those things that may have created them. So ultimately, if I were to do a hypnotherapy session with people, I could help with some of the core issues that drove them to that point. Mm -hmm. As far as the chemical addiction, you do need help from the medical professionals. And you do need, I, I never step in the way of medical professionals because they have their, they, they have their very important use. And also 12-step programs has a very important place in that. So, but I, but again, there are prongs to that. So I can help with the subconscious issues that have sort of drove them to that point, right. but they're going to need help with the, the, the other aspects that I just mentioned. Right. So, so you don't deny like the fact that like some of these problems are just multifaceted and are going to require other <laughs> areas to be addressed. Oh, hypnotherapy Absolutely. is just a natural relaxation technique that we can help ourselves heal with, but I only work with the mentally well people. Mm -hmm. I don't work with mentally ill people, and that's a big distinction. Um, that's not my position, and that's not my skill set. You need psychologists, psychiatrists, and you need medical professionals, absolutely, or we'd have a mess in this world. Uh, but I can help with certain peripheral issues and psychological issues that, and do it rapidly that maybe in a better way than some of those modalities for certain people wow. that are mentally That is awesome. I, I didn't realize that hypnosis could be used for so many things. I had interviewed one guy, and his specialty was hypnotizing. He was a fertility hypnotist. He uh, hypnotized yeah. women so they could become pregnant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because there's a lot of anxiety and stress issues involved with that as well, right? Yeah. And also, again, Gary, you go back to the basis, the criticism being unloved, the, the sickness you know, worrying about, you know, having a baby, maybe you're a professional and thinking about how it's going to affect your body, even the poverty, maybe losing your job or not being able to make the same mm -hmm. income or even death. All those issues, those core five issues that I discussed with you from throughout the show, they apply to that as well. So if you can go back and help a, a, a lady to be able to release those issues from her subconscious, she'll be more relaxed and able to have her body function in a more uh, excellent way. And in addition, hypnosis is great for blood flow and all of that in the body. So um, I know it sounds crazy, but even like breast enhancement, it's fantastic for it because you can just like with we do surgeries, OK, mm -hmm. uh, with uh, all different surgeries where we control the blood flow for people that need a surgery, but can't access it because they can't take the medications. So we can help control the blood flow so they can and the pain issues so they can have that surgery. So if you can do that, then why can't you help a lady be able to control her bodily functions more effectively and more and her anxiety issues mm -hmm. and therefore have a good chance at getting pregnant. How about uh, like for pain management? Um, how well does hypnosis work with pain management? Like, can, can that really help reduce like the, um, you know, the use of like, uh, what is it you know, like obituates and stuff like that? You know, it can, it can be a big help because your body can control a lot of things. Um, I, uh, I work with, uh, clients and i use the word clients because i'm not a doctor i don't use the word patients i work with clients that uh are military people that mm -hmm. have phantom limb pain, for instance and i've helped them with dealing with that now it doesn't mean you can get fully off the pain meds it doesn't mean you can fully get away from it but you know dr unger who i work for at the Unger medical group he likes alternative modalities of treatment so he'll use everything from acupuncture to hypnotherapy 
to sort of tame down that situation. Yeah. So you might still need medication to some extent, but maybe you don't need to have the extensive medications mm -hmm. that are tearing your body apart because you can use these other things to be topical and aid with that medication and make a whole package. That's awesome. That is really awesome. Like, like that holistic approach of like, rather than overloading somebody on a whole bunch of morphine to be able to attack it from like these other angles, like, like acupuncture, hypnosis, relaxation techniques, breathing, all those things right. can, can just help. And, and then save that person a whole lot of problems probably later on from like the overuse of, you know, certain drugs that are not good for the body. Well, you know, I'll tell you, um, even if you do, even if you get rid of 25 or 30 percent of that pain, the meds can go down quite a bit. So mm -hmm. you combine all those things and that's a reality. It's really a reality. It's not just a, a philosophy or a, a belief. It really works. I mean, it really if you take acupuncture, acupressure, you take hypnotherapy, you put them all together, you do exercise, you do everything necessary. You will be able to get down on those meds. It's, it's a fact. Wow. So before we wrap this up, where can my listeners find you? Okay. Well, if you're interested in my hypnotherapy, uh, my website is, and I'm sure you'll put this in the notes for yes. the show, uh -huh. but it's uh, covidnosis, C-O-V-I-D-N-O-S-I-S dot Weebly, W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com. And if you just want my shows, you go to mesmer dot Weebly dot com or Danger Magic with a K on the end, one word.com. And then if you just want to get a hold of me directly, uh, it's my my email is hypnomesmer, H-Y-P-N-O-M-E-Z-M-E-R at hotmail.com. And if you mention that you saw me on Gary's show, the name of the show, I will give the first 10 people to contact me uh, a free download of a relaxation uh, audio. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Thank you. Sure. My, my listeners will love that. Great. And uh, so make sure you email me all those links so I can, can add them to the notes of this episode so people can go and check out all your sites and take advantage of that offer. Yeah, I'm sure I have your email. I have an email from you, so I should yeah. be able to respond to that. All right. Fantastic. Well, thanks for being on. This was a great interview. My pleasure. You know, you're an awesome interviewer, and I'll tell you why. First of all, you think, which is great. Uh, <laughs> but, but secondly... Like with all the great interviewers from Johnny Carson and other people, you listen. And listening is makes a great, great host. And that what that's what makes people enjoy your program too, because they want to listen along with you. And so you're the listener, and that's what makes the show great. So thank you so much. It was my pleasure because you're an excellent interviewer. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate the compliment. All right. Hang on one second, and I'm just gonna play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. And it's on Amazon. It'll change your life. Because remember, everything that exists 
was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.